Welcome to Grace Life Church Podcast. If you would like any more information about us, please visit our website, gracelife.com.au. Well, um, I want to start by telling you a story about a pastor. And a pastor was explaining to his congregation one time that they're really short of money. And they were hoping for uh, a, a really big uh, money offering to be received. And so as an incentive, the pastor said, right, whoever gives the most amount of money gets to choose three hymns that we're going to sing. Your three favourite hymns. So they passed the plate around the church. And um, as they brought the collection forward, someone brought to the pastor, told him, the amount and the pastor was so excited and he, he, he was shown that someone actually wrote a check out for $1,000, a $1,000 check. The pastor was so excited by this, he explained to the church, this is phenomenal, can I just, can I just thank you personally, whoever you are, I want to thank you for that $1,000 check. At that moment, a sweet elderly lady on the back row slowly put her hand up and so she slowly walked to the front, and the pastor said, thank you so much for helping us with our money offering. Now, what are your three favorite hymns to choose? She stands up and she looks to the three best-looking guys that she could choose. I want him, him, and him. <laughs> yeah, that's good. Thank you. I'm here all weekend. Thank you. We're doing a series on finances on becoming rich. And Jesus warns us about the desire to become rich, talking about financially. In fact, he diverts that ambition for wealth. And he says, if you want to be rich, he speaks through his disciples, but then he speaks through Paul the Apostle as he writes to Timothy and says, if you want to be rich, encourage them to do good, to be rich in good works. And so God channels our desire the lure of stuff and he says if you want to really have treasure let's think about treasure in the next life store up treasures in heaven Jesus is no stranger to talking about money in fact outside of the kingdom of God he talks about money finances stuff materials more than anything anything at all if you look at Luke's gospel one in every seven verses refers to money or wealth or material. If you took all of his conversation around heaven and hell and you put that together, Jesus talked about money, wealth, material possessions far more than he did even about heaven and hell. Isn't that interesting? Why does he do that? He does it because he knows that money in and of itself is nothing, but what it represents for us might be security, perhaps its significance. I've been around the world to a number of different countries over the years, and whether I come across people that are wealthy with lots of money or people that don't have much at all, one thing that I have found from all walks and all ages is that there is a strange attraction to money. We like money. 
because what we might be able to get with the money. What that might mean for us, maybe not now, maybe a nice healthy nest egg for when we retire. It might mean a better roof over our heads, a faster car to drive. It might mean better clothes to wear. And Jesus is not, he is not afraid in coming forward when he talks about these issues. In fact, when he addresses wealth and material possessions, he, he goes for the jugular. That's what he does. He doesn't pussyfoot around. As a church, we don't talk about money a lot. But when we do, we talk about it. Why? Because in family, healthy family, there aren't things that are taboo. It's important to have these conversations. And so even as we're doing a series about finances, money, wealth, however you want to term it, if you're feeling uncomfortable about what Jesus says or what the Word says about money, material, possessions, it might be a good indication of the state of our hearts. I find passages around money and giving really challenging. I was reading again 1 Timothy 6 this week, and I was sharing with, with uh, the guys during the week, I think the staff, I was like, man, this is really hard. This is challenging about contentment, about what Jesus says. Don't be anxious about anything. The lilies of the field, they, they are so well looked after. Look how beautiful they are. Don't worry about tomorrow. But somehow I found that I have been discipled by the world to want stuff, to find my security and significance in things that are temporal. They don't really matter. So let's start and let's go Matthew chapter 6. We'll start here and verse 19 to 24. Let's see what Jesus says. Reading from ESV today. Jesus says, do not lay up for yourselves treasures on earth where moth and rust destroy and where thieves break in and steal. He's, he's here talking about moth-eating fabric or expensive clothing. He's talking about rust to do with wheat and crops and he's talking about uh, stuff, thieves to come in and take things from your homes. He's saying, don't store up treasures here. That's not that important. He says, but lay up for yourselves treasures in heaven where neither moth nor rust destroys and where thieves do not break in and steal. For where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. Let's think about that for a second. Where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. So, uh, just a, a question on that verse. We see a connection between heart and treasure, or devotion and dollar. And we understand that where your devotion is, your heart is attached to it. But what if the direction of our money could determine the direction of our hearts? What if the direction of our dollar could determine where our hearts are? I was thinking about this last week. When Kylie and I were looking to buy a house, we were looking around and we just saw house, 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 and they were just houses to us. But our hearts really only connected with those homes, in particular, 
when we signed up for a mortgage, when we started pouring money into that thing. I look at things that I own in my life, that I caretake for God, perhaps is a better way of putting it. And I've found that the more money that I pour into something, I've found there seems to be a greater connection of my heart. What if God could use every financial transaction that we have to direct our hearts? See, I, 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 can, I can see in my life where a lot of my heart is connected by looking at my bank statement. I look at where my money goes, that will tell me a lot about where my heart is. But what if God gifts us with money to be able to help disciple us and steer our hearts in certain directions? We'll come back to this. Verse 22, the eye is the lamp of the body, so if your eye is healthy, your whole body will be full of light. But if your eye is bad, your whole body will be full of darkness. If then the light in you is darkness, how great is the darkness? is this darkness. He's, this is what we call a Hebrewism. He's, he's saying your eye is, is, is like an attitude. If your attitude is right, everything changes. Let's go on to verse 24. No one can serve two masters, for either he will hate the one and love the other, or he will be devoted to the one and despise the other. You cannot serve God and money. What's he saying? Jesus is saying, there's only room in this town for one sheriff. And the sheriff doesn't like to be mucked around. God is in the business of wanting all of us. He wants to be the master. He doesn't want to be used. So Jesus says, either you're going to Love God and use money, or you're going to use God and love money. It's important for us to understand this because money is a terrible master. As a master, money will dominate us and we'll never have enough. We always want more, 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 more. And this, this deep, inner, greedy disposition just tends to rise up. How much is enough for there's never enough. But I tell you what, money can be a wonderful servant. We have a master who loves us incredibly. Money doesn't love you. Be careful not to love money. Money in and of itself is nothing, but the love of money is a root of all kinds of evil, it says in Timothy. So I guess an initial question to ask ourselves here is, Do I love money? Or do I use money? If money is our servant, we tell it what to do. But if it's our master, it tells us what to do. My assignment today is to share a sermon that I've called Putting Your Money to Work. Putting your money to work. How does your money work for you? Does it work for you or do you work for it? 
God wants us to use money for three things, if you're taking notes, three things. First thing is lifting, the second thing is learning, and the last thing is loving. First thing is lifting, lifting, lifting. God wants us to use money for lifting God up, lifting Him up. This is all about God first. This is what it says in Proverbs chapter 3, and I'm going to read from verse 5 to verse 10. Trust in the Lord with all your heart and don't lean on your own understanding. In all your ways acknowledge Him and He will make straight your paths. Be not wise in your own eyes. Fear the Lord and turn away from evil. It'll be healing to your flesh and refreshment to your bones. Verse 9 and verse 10. Honour the Lord with your wealth and with the last fruits of all your produce. Sorry, what version's that? The convenient Christian version, the last fruits, sorry. Honour the Lord with your wealth and with the first fruits, the first, the first fruits of all your produce and your barns will be filled with plenty and your vats will be bursting with wine. The first fruits. So what is this about? This is about lifting God up. This is about honouring Him, worshipping Him. Money as a servant, if it serves us, it helps us to worship God. God gives us wealth, material, financial wealth, as a means to lift Him up. And this, I believe, for my life, in fact, verses 5 to verse 10 is so key for me personally. That was my, that's my favourite verses 5 and 6, Proverbs 3 verse 5 and 6. And then I continue to read on there about honouring God with everything, with everything, with everything and with the first part of everything, not the last or the least or the leftover, whatever I've got left. No, God wants the first. He wants the best. Why? Because that's where my heart is. The heart matters. The heart absolutely matters. Do you think God needs my money? Does he need it? No, Psalm 50 says he owns it all. Hey, uh, Josh, son, uh, <clears throat> I'm a bit embarrassed to say this to you, mate, but uh, I'm short of money up here. I've got to pay for the, the Jasper. I've got to pay for the Onyx. I've got to pay for the streets of gold. I'm, I'm short of money. Can you please give me some money? No, God doesn't need my money, but he does want my heart. He wants my heart. Last week, it was my 12-year anniversary. Halabadooji. 12 years. And um, it was an occasion to bless my wife, to honour my wife. So I got a big bunch of flowers, wrote us a nice card, made her a little video, I showed her, uh, organised a nice watch for her. And uh, at the end of that, I said, well, it was our anniversary, I suppose this will keep you off my back for 12 months. I didn't say that. That's just, that's just to keep you interested, right? I didn't say that. I said, I love you. I gave her a kiss. I gave her a hug. And there was an occasion to which honour and appreciation was demonstrated. But if my, if my disposition was, I'm just doing this to shut you up, wife. I'm just doing this because it's my duty. You think... That'll go down too well. <laughs> That'll go down like a fish milkshake. Not down well at all. No. 
It was an opportunity to honor and appreciate. There was an occasion. We, we have offerings weekly, fortnightly, monthly, however you want to give. The occasion is there when we get together. But the heart is what's most important. God wants your heart. He doesn't need your money. He'll use it, but he wants your heart. And he wants the first and the best, not the least, and the leftover. Um, a few years ago, when I went away to, I was over to Israel, I went with Harvest Bible College. And while I was away, I get, I get a little bit sentimental sometimes with my family and my kids. Man, I love them. They drive me up the wall sometimes, but I tell you what, I love them. And whenever I leave home for more than seven or eight days, I get a little bit emotional. On the last trip to Zambia, I'm only on the plane and I've got tears in my eyes thinking about my girls. So what got me through a few years ago when I went to Israel was a gift that uh, my daughter Grace gave me. She had just turned five years old. Before I left, not long before I left, I gave her some money. Well, what she did was she wrote me a little note and gave me a gift in an envelope. And this is what she gave me. I love you, Dad. Oh, that melts my heart. And she gave me my money back. I don't know why there are six people in that picture <laughs> when there's only five of us in the family. I don't know if she was prophesying the future or what. But Where did that money come from? It came from me. That was my money. I gave it to her. But I tell you what, I had that by my bedside table at every place that we stopped along the way when I was overseas. Why? Because that said to me, oh man, she loves me. She loves me. When God gifts us with finances, we have an opportunity to have our hearts attached to a gift to say, God, I love you. I lift you up. It's not just chucking some change in. God, I love you. It's about worship. It's worship. If anything, perhaps this is just a reminder for the children in the faith to say, God, thank you. I love you so much. I get to lift you up with money. Remember, it's not about the dollar, but it is about the devotion. But the devotion will always determine the direction of that dollar. You want to know the things you love in your life? Look at where your money's going. Second thing. God wants us to use money for learning to fear God. Learning to fear God. Now that fear is not a, oh God, I'm so scared of you. No, that's a healthy fear. It's being in awe of Him. God, I so trust you. You're my provider. You're my protector. Let's go to Deuteronomy chapter 14. In the Old Testament, we see conversations around a tithe, a tithe which means a tenth. 
And God instituted this. He called for his people to give a tenth on a number of occasions. In verse 22 of Deuteronomy 14, God says, You shall tithe, or you shall tenth, all the yield of your seed that comes from the field year by year, and before the Lord your God in the place that he will choose to make his name dwell there. Whose name? So it's about his honour, it's about his glory, it's about worship. You shall eat the tithe of your grain, of your wine and of your oil, and the firstborn of your herd and flock. And then, this is what I've got underlined in my Bible, that you may learn to fear the Lord your God sometimes. That you may learn to fear the Lord your God always. So, there is a conversation around giving a tenth, the purpose being to honour Him always, always, always. There's often a lot of conversation around this tithe, um, principle. And, and, and to give you some context, in the Old Testament, God's people were one nation and God would rule his people through the mediation of priests and Levites. And through the priests and Levites and the care of the nation of Israel, there would be a tithe tax that would happen. It would happen once a year, there'd be a 10% that would be brought, that would be for the priest, the welfare of the priests, the Levites. There would be another 10%, actually, it wasn't just one tenth, it was another 10% every year. It's taken up to 20% now, some of you are getting nervous. <laughs> and that would be for the community of faith, that would be for celebrations, that would be for feasts. That would be for the temple. So there'd be a 10% to take care of the priests and the Levites once a year. There would also be another 10% that would be brought in for feasts and celebrations for them all to enjoy. And then once every three years, there would also be a tithe for the needy, for the orphans, for the widows, for the poor. So there was 10% for the priests. There was 10% for a big party. And there was also a 3.33% for the poor, that's about 23.333% every year on average. In addition to that though, there would be when you would have a, a crop and you would harvest, the corner of your fields you would need to leave for the poor. So there would be more, possibly another half a percent, quarter percent, however it is. Plus if you were harvesting and you had some crop fall off your wagon or whatever and it hit the ground, you had to leave that for the poor. So if you estimated annually roughly 24-ish percent of what the average Israelite family would get, they would give for the purpose of the tithe. That's not to mention offerings. There was free will offerings on top of that. Some of you are getting hot under the collar now. Hang on a second, what? I'm struggling with 10%. So what do we do with that? The tithe is a wonderful, a brilliant pattern for us to look at for living today. I do not believe that we as Christians have to do anything to maintain covenant compliance. What is that? What am I saying? What I'm saying is to keep God in your good books, you don't have to give a certain percentage. You don't have to 
lift up your hands in worship to make sure that God is happy with you. No, he's already happy with you in Jesus. Everything has been fulfilled in Christ by grace. However, there are certain patterns that we can learn from. There is a wonderful pattern we look at in the scriptures. And 10%, can I say, for most of us is a great place to start. Perhaps some of us, it's got to be a heck of a lot more than that. What am I saying? Do what God tells you to do. Well, I'm not going to live under the law. I'm not. No, don't live under the law. Live under grace. But grace compels us to live beyond the law anyway. I'm hearing crickets all of a sudden. <laughs> so, in the Old Testament, a patent was set money aside for the priests, set money aside for the party or the celebration, the community, set money aside for the poor. That is a great pattern for us today, for God's people today to look at. If you're a Christian and you have a home church, I, I urge you prayerfully, obediently follow the Spirit in giving. If you feel like you're disconnected in this family, start giving and watch your heart change. If you don't have a heart for the poor, start giving money to the poor. Watch your heart change. This is where the direction of the dollar can determine the depth of the devotion. This is how we can make money work for us. Work with Holy Spirit. What are you saying, Lord? Where can this go? But Lord, I'm not feeling it. I'm not feeling it. Well, if he's saying it, let your heart follow his leadership. Our hearts can deceive us. I can be so hot. Oh, my heart is so warm and tingly for the final at the MCG this last weekend. And my heart's leading me to do that, but it's not leading me to... Give money to my next door neighbor who's struggling to pay his bills. Well, there's a need. Could God be knocking on the door of my heart? Yeah. So where do I start with giving? 10% is a great place to start. What's a 10 Get it. Divide what you have by 10. Take the last zero off. Thereabouts. If you don't know, I'm not sensing it. I'm not feeling it. Divide it by 10. Maybe that's a good place to start. The danger that we have with just fixing ourselves with percentages is that we can try to put God in a box. God can't be put in a box. He's not another bill that I've got to pay off. What's my bill? What do I owe you? What am I going to do to shut you up, God? All right, God, shut up and take my money. <laughs> the danger with a tithe-only mentality is that we say 10% is God and 90% is ours, and that's not the case at all. It's 100% God's. The conversation around ownership is so important because if we own it, I get to decide what I do with it. But if he owns it, I get to do what he tells me to. So let's look at patterns in the Bible that we can model our lives after. What might giving look to you? Weekly, fortnightly, monthly, it could be even annually. I would submit this to you. In your giving, in the direction of your finances, look for the cross. Look for the cross. Look for Jesus in your finances. 
Jesus, where are you? What does Jesus look like? What does that cross look like? When we look to the cross, what does that, what does that mean? When I see what happened on the cross, I see willing sacrifice. I see abounding support. I see incredible generosity. I see amazing honor. So in my life with my finances, I know that finances are so important because that tends to be where my heart is connected. It's hooked in. Finance is important for me because I want my finances to reflect what I see. Are you picking up what I'm putting down? So God wants us to use money for lifting him up, learning to fear God or to have a healthy respect for him. But also, God wants us to use money for loving those around. For loving those around. 2 Corinthians chapter 9, would you turn with me please? Give you some background here, Paul writes to a group of Christians and he's encouraging them to to give in an offering, to raise a collection for Christians in Jerusalem. And he talks from verse 6. The point is this, whoever sows sparingly will also reap sparingly. Whoever sows bountifully will also reap bountifully. Each one must give as he has decided in his heart, not reluctantly, Not under compulsion, for God loves a cheerful giver. Have you ever given a gift before reluctantly? Yes. No? A lot of of holy saints in the room today. Halos above your heads. You're so, I can see the wings popping out from your backs there. Some of you are hovering midair right now. I can see it. I tell you what, I have at times given gifts with a bad attitude. What about when God calls me to give a certain amount and I'm uncomfortable with it? Have you ever had that before? Do I give it or not? Well, God, you don't want me, I'm going to be a cheerful giver. I'm not cheerful right now. (laughs) Do I be obedient and do what he says? Or just have a bad attitude and hold on to it? My flesh says hold on to it. Maybe it's an opportunity for the Spirit to disciple us and say, do as I lead you, but work on your heart in the process. Perhaps it's the relinquishing of that very thing that's killing the idol of greed in your heart. Sometimes that's how you've got to kill things. Starve it. Put it to death. So we see Paul gives some pointers here to give generously, generosity. You know, generosity is one of those things, it's such a mark of the Spirit at work in your life. Think about when you first come to know Jesus, and you first get saved, man, I just come alive. I'm like, oh, there's generosity and you don't care about, when you're in the Spirit, you don't care about concerns or anxieties, it's all about this overflow of Godward generosity. And richness toward others. 
He says, sow. What do you mean sow? Sowing. You mean giving is sowing. Yeah, it's sowing. He's talking about giving to others. Let others be blessed by your giving. So it's about giving to God, lifting Him up. It's about learning a healthy respect for God that He is our provider, that we are to be in awe of Him, that we are to fear Him in a healthy way, but also so that others would be blessed. Others would be blessed. As we are doing that, we are actually sowing, putting seed in the ground, putting seed in the ground, putting seed in the ground. It's interesting, I reckon, that uh, there have been seasons of my life where I have not expected to see blessing upon blessing and then I think back, hang on, but didn't I sow years ago? And so at times there is seed, time and harvest. We understand this, right? So we sow and we wait and then we receive a harvest. The danger with just living in the now and enjoying of the fruit without sowing is that we are jeopardizing our future harvest. So God calls for us to continually be generous and sow in this season. Sow in the next season and then sow in the next season and eventually you'll reap. But as you're enjoying that, you sow again so that you keep reaping. And then you sow again. So here is a call to maintain and in fact increase your generosity year in, year out. And don't be distracted by the fruit. Whoever sows sparingly will reap sparingly. If you want to have a look at your future, have a look at where you're sowing. That's where you'll get an idea of your future. Look at to whom or to where and to what you're sowing into right now. It says in verse 8, God is able to make all grace abound to you so that having all sufficiency in all things at all times, you may abound in every good work. As it's written, he is distributed freely. He is given to the poor. His righteousness endures forever. Here's another call to remember the poor. Last year at the beginning of the year, I remember just waiting on God. It was probably like a morning and I just felt directed by God to go to Galatians 2.10 where Paul recounts a conversation that he had with the council. And they said to Paul, hey, just don't neglect the poor. They asked, all they asked, he says in Galatians 2.10, was that we should continue to remember the poor and Paul says, the very thing that I had been eager to do all along. So here's an encouragement, church. Remember the poor. Remember the poor. Remember the poor. What does it practically look like for us? I got some money. Oh, look at me, I'm, a, I'm so wealthy. I've got 10 $10 bills. With our finances, God calls for us to not be wasteful. <laughs> he says, be mindful, be, be prayerful, be Christ-like, and look for the cross in what you have. So, give to God, Give to others. Don't forget to pay your bills. Don't be silly about it all. Be wise. 
and never forget the poor. Never. Sometimes it's not going to add up either. Have you ever found that at the end of the week or the end of the month, it doesn't add up? I met with a financial advisor a few years ago, probably in 2011, and this financial advisor was hounding me. I don't know how they get my contacts, these guys, and they harass me. This financial advisor wanted three hours of my time to help me with my finances and help me get more money for the future. I said, listen, with all respect, I don't know if you can do that. He says, please, give me three hours of your time. I said, no, look, with respect, we run a pretty tight ship. (laughs) And um, he goes, look, have have you got any time? I said, I'll give you one hour. I've got a budget. We do it at the beginning of every year. I'll give you one hour. So I gave him an hour. This is back when we were at Westchester Road. He came up. We had a conversation. I showed him my spreadsheet that Kylie and I do at the beginning of the year. And we put money aside for savings, we put money aside for compassion, well vision, church, all that sort of stuff. And, and uh, he looked at all of that and uh, asking me some questions about the future, superannuation investments and so forth. He goes, just looking at the numbers here, it doesn't exactly add up. I said, I know. It doesn't add up. I said, that's because I believe in a higher authority. I work for a boss who owns everything and knows some things that I don't. And he says, well, look, I I don't know if I can really help you make more money for the future. There is only one area where I can see you've got disposable income. And he's looking in my section where we give money away. And we, we, at that point, we're giving significantly over a tenth. And he said, if you could take this portion here, I could reinvest that for you so that for the future you will have money. I says, well, it's, it's because of that that we're doing okay. Why would I (laughs) kill the goose that lays the golden egg? He says, oh, okay, well, I see where you're at. I said, I'm a Christian. I'm a man of faith. I believe in God. I trust him. I do what he tells me. That's my wife and I do. We ended up having a cup of coffee and we haven't spoken since. (laughs) See, this comes down to the words of Jesus. This is what he says in Acts chapter 20. It is more blessed to give than to receive. It is not just, it's not blessed to give, it's more blessed. Think about that for a second. It is more blessed, it is more blessed to give than receive. I like receiving, but Jesus says it's even better to give. Isn't that interesting? And this is a mark of Christianity. What do we give? How do we give? Look at the person of God. Look at him. Who is he? Who is God? Our God is a God of abundance. He's a God of generosity. He is a God of sacrifice. He is a God who believes in us. And we see God most perfectly in Jesus. Jesus, he he was a pretty rich guy when he was upstairs, wasn't he? I mean, he had it all, but he gave it all up for me. And he wanted to. It wasn't just out of reluctant obedience to the Father that He came to the earth. There was a willingness to obey. There was a desire. So here is a call, folks. 
Find out what God is saying with your money, with your finances, which you are just caretakers of, and have a willing desire to do what He wants. A willingness. A willingness. What if, what if God could put a desire in our hearts and it not just be about discipline? What if there was a desire to give, to be generous? What if there was a desire we really wanted to sing, to, to worship, to read our Bibles? What if we really desired those things? Wouldn't it make it so much easier? Both desire and discipline are both important for following Jesus because there are going to be times where you just don't feel it. But, desi- but desires of the heart trumps discipline. It just does. Imagine we write our songs. This is my discipline. It doesn't work, does it? Desire to honor you. It's my desire. And that's got to be a work of the Spirit. So today is not telling you what you should or should not do other than go to Him. And let Him speak to your heart. Let Him move in your heart. Oh, that we would just be open and soft and willing to trust Him. The mighty provider, Jehovah Jireh. We hope you've enjoyed listening to this podcast from Grace Life Church. For more information about us or any of our services, please visit our website at gracelife.com.au.